Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. Just a few years ago, when we were deep in the Trump presidency, it felt like every day was a new attack on the environment. From releasing protected parklands to the gas and mining industries and the Gulf waters for drilling, every day with Trump felt like a monstrous machine ripping up our trees and spewing sewage into our waters. For most of us, it was devastating. The election of Biden brought hope for clear skies and promises of protection for our beloved planet. But is that what's really happening? Yes and no. President Biden may have stopped the Keystone Pipeline, but he also moved it within 10 miles of the sacred Chaco Canyon and has proceeded with the leasing of the Gulf and Forest logging that Trump started. One such place is the Yak Valley in Montana, where one of the United States' oldest forests is set to be cleared and logged under the guise of forest management. Today, my guest is Rick Bass, acclaimed author and activist, who will share his story of becoming a land protector for the Yak Valley and why this should matter to us all. Welcome, Rick. Good morning. Good afternoon. Thank you. Well, last week I read an article in Orion magazine that you wrote, and it was on your love of the Kootenai National Forest entitled From the Oldest Forest in Montana. And I was immediately compelled to reach out to you. I think with COVID and so much still happening, many of us felt that the Biden administration was on a bit of a vacation from, I guess, the daily trauma that I was feeling with Trump. And after you're reading your article, it really opened my eyes to the fact that this is not the case at all. And I was kind of shocked to hear that what was happening in your own backyard and your own awakening on this. Can you give us the background? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. You know, I'm kind of hesitating because it's so, as a traditional activist, that that's kind of the, uh, De rigueur, you, you you attack the previous administration. I criticize the current administration. This proposed timber sale, and it's it's a doozy, is a remnant from what it's a zombie sale from what Trump proposed. He directed the regional foresters with the U.S. Forest Service to increase logging by forty percent and to do away with science to abandon environmental impact statements, which are traditionally the the operating plan that's studied and proposed for sensitive areas like this this ancient forest. Yeah, I thought with the new presidency, the new administration, it would be stopped. And so far, it's just in limbo. But something I've found as an activist in this forest is it's very unfamiliar to me to just be, I feel like the best advocacy is to simply describe what this ancient forest is like. And I I know how sausage gets made. You know, we need a champion in Congress. We need criticism. We need press in, in the major outlets. We need all of that traditional advocacy, but I keep going into this ancient forest again and again, and it, it really is kind of altering the way I, I talk about 
the need to protect it. And, and that's more positive and less negative, which is very unfamiliar to me. It's an incredible force. It's got 600 to 800 year old large trees, this incredible dinosaur of a tree. It's, a, it's the only deciduous conifer in the country. It loses its needles each year. They turn gold and blow through the sky, covering the entire ground and every inanimate shape below just covered with gold. It's just, it's breathtaking. It's an evolutionary choice by the tree. It's kind of got one foot in the, in the camp of the deciduous and one foot in the camp of the coniferous. Uh, but it, it is a, a conifer, you know, it has a cone bearing. They're 315-year-old subalpine fir and, and old spruce that crash down through the canopy. And when they do, they bring this stripe of light to the forest floor. And then the, the new succession, new plants, new trees come in in those, those stripes. So to walk in there, it's just, it's dizzying, it's disorienting. And you move really slowly, which makes sense. You know, when the forest is maybe a thousand years old, you know, what's the hurry? Just, you find yourself taking very slow steps, looking at ever-changing angles of light coming down through that enormously high canopy and through all the lattices of branches and, and you look down where you're you're walking gently on this this moss clad forest floor that I don't know how deep it goes. You can see the ghost outlines of the giants that have come down in the past and they're stacked on top of giants, stacked on top of giants, and they're all just settling down into this very soft substrate. And and there are these little ponds and swamps in there. Usually when you're walking across a one of those old fallen logs, water will squish out of it. It's just a it's no place for bulldozers, and it's a place to celebrate, and it's really easy to celebrate. Forgive me for talking so much. I mean, you're welcome to jump in and ask questions, but I just, I haven't been in there in, in a, oh, over a month, and I, I miss it. This, this cool project that we're doing to help bring attention to this ancient forest is, oh, we've got this master luthier, Kevin Kopp is his name, kopguitars.com, and he makes these incredibly beautiful uh, guitars, you know, like years in, in backlog and orders. Uh, Leo Kotke and other musicians swear by them, just these virtuoso instruments. And they're, the sound from them is so hot and bright and fast and clean and clear. That's its own kind of otherworldly experience to hear the, the tones and, and sounds coming from these guitars. And we went to the edge of this old proposed cutting unit where the Forest Service has already bladed us a two and a half mile long road, six acres of straight line industrial corridor to the edge where they, they plan to log it. And of course, when you cut into an old forest like that, the trees at the edge fall down. It, the edge effect, wind shear and heat blow into the protection of a previous protection of the old forest. So one of these giant old spruce fell out into the opening that the Forest Service had cleared. So we went in and cut a about a three-foot length out of it. It's like taking a vertebrae out of a, a whale or something. Mm. It's just it's just this incredibly, it's just, it's never like anything I've ever experienced in my life. And we towed that out and, and gave it to Kevin to make a spruce top on one of these guitars. And so that guitar will be done. He's been working on it much of last year and much of this year. It'll be done at the end of the year. And we're going to ask musicians around the country to play a song of the resistance on this guitar when it's finished just pick one of their own or one of their favorite songs about resistance or celebration for that matter and uh can't wait to hear what that guitar is going to sound and and so many musicians you know all we have to do is start telling them about this and they say yeah i'm in i want to do that's that that's beautiful so hopefully the forest will still be there when that concert that first yeah. concert occurs exactly i want to give people some sort of a background i mean we we talk about you know, this this awe that we see in our world. But in yeah. 2019, 
it was a, a project that was proposed by the national force, by a governmental agency, and it was under the Trump administration, and that they're saying that this is actually going to protect it, right? It's a 500-page it's a book, basically. Um, I looked at most of it, but it said that the, it's forest management. I say that in quotes and that, you know, the logging and clear cutting <laughs> that's going to happen is a benefit of the fact that this is going to stop the forest fires, the wildfires. And as you know, in the area that you're in, this is a huge area of concern now that we're seeing over in the Northwest and Southwest for that matter. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're calling it the Black Ram environmental Mm -hmm. assessment is what it is. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that they're doing this under the guise of forest management? Well, to say it's not rocket science, it's not even kindergarten tea and biscuits. It's Trump had directed the regional foresters to increase the volume by 40% and do away with the EISs. And they're just following his orders, but he's Mm -hmm. gone now. They don't have to follow him anymore. And yeah, this, this proposed... What they call a regeneration harvest. It is a clear cut because they leave, you know, two or three trees per acre, which immediately blow over or or die from the sun scald when bereft of the community in which they grew for for hundreds of years, for centuries. Yeah, it was just a way to juice the volume to get these really big old trees out. And uh, they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, but nobody's saying, take your hand out. They're just sitting there with their paw in the jar and nothing's happening. You know, I guess it's in my own naivete that you think that one party is going to do better than the other. But the fact is, is that this world and and everything that we do runs on oil and our resources. And never mind my opinion and my research, what have you found? And particularly also, you know, Rick, we have an interior secretary who is a Native American and this is indigenous people's land after all, right? Why do you think this is happening? Why aren't they stopping it? I don't know the answer to that. Christine, why they're not stopping it. I know, you know, the excuses that the agency, the Forest Service gives is that it is a fuels reduction project. It's 12 miles downwind from the nearest community of 100 people. It's literally on the Canadian border. It's literally in a swamp. They bulldozed uh, ponds and creeks to get to the, to build the road to the unit, the fire line. The Forest Service's own maps show that large sections of it have never burned. It's a place of incredible scientific value for that reason. How does a forest in this ecosystem self-regulate sustainably across not just centuries, but millennia to not burn this self-sustaining ecosystem of gap creation, where when one giant falls down, it provides a, a nursery for the others to come up. It is a kind of music just to walk in there. You can't hear anything, but just seeing that light come down with different intensities on different branches of different trees. It's not like any place I've ever been in the world. And I'm not answering your question. Why are they doing it? I think just for volume, the United States Forest Service is is a timber-driven operation, despite claims to the contrary. And I'm not here to tattle on them. I'm just here to protect, help protect this beautiful forest. What's been interesting is how grassroots-driven it's been, the the advocacy. It hasn't so much been the uh, traditional big green drivers who are understandably have their hands busy, you know, still cleaning up the mess from the previous administration that Secretary Holland has not been able to repair yet with regard to grizzly bear recovery, with regard to how wolves are treated in the West and mining and oil and gas leasing that you mentioned. So it's kind of all hands on deck. Our advocacy has been very grassroots driven. We've had the uh, Disability United community from New York, Marina Sapolina, 
has engaged Representative Maloney and her neighborhood, uh, Marina's neighborhood, to take a look at this. Representative Maloney has proposed a large section of this Black Ram project be managed as a biological corridor. A little group I'm active with, the Yak Valley Forest Council, is proposing a, a climate refuge for this area. And we envision if it's successful, which it's the best way to absorb carbon dioxide is in these ancient and old trees. Mm -hmm. We could have a really a chain of such protected ancient forests all along the northern tier of the United States, a curtain of green between the U.S. and Canada. It's totally permeable, totally filtering up to 12% of our nation's CO2 emissions. Uh, it is such a, such a sweet idea. Adirondacks, the Northeast Kingdom, the Maine's North Woods, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area in Minnesota, North Cascades in Washington, the Tongass up in Alaska. I mean, there's no reason not to just circle the entire, you know, northern globe with a, a protected reserve of ancient forests that will, will help absorb whole carbon on site and absorb the, the CO2 emissions. But anyway, it's, it's a non-traditional movement. The NFL Players Association is, is engaged with it. I think it's the strangeness of the coalition or, or the originality of the coalition has to do with something that, you know, we evolved as a species in the grasslands, but we also take our, there is a nurturing in the forest. There is a kind of a spiritual cathedral-like quality to the interior of these ancient forests that affects our species. So all we have to do to get people to pay attention and listen is just these three words. We say this old forest, comma, and then however we describe it, they are drawn immediately just to the idea that there is an old forest left in the world. And they know instinctively at the body level, the physical level, that it's necessary to be fully human. You know, one of the things I wanted to throw out is that in the assessment that I read that they were talking about how it's going to help water, make it cleaner. It's going, you know, also, which is just, I mean, it's absurd. I'm not sure how they were able to write that. But one of the facts, there have been some legitimate people talking about how burning a forest is actually a way to management. But in the case of this, it's not true. This is an old forest. And so the chance of the canopy of this forest burning is 10%, right? Of any old forest, not just this one, but any old forest, but new forests within 15 years of growth have a 70% chance of burning. I mean, that's one of the reasons. And then the other thing is logging a forest emits 33 million tons of CO2, okay? 33 million tons, which is almost as much as the world's dirtiest coal plant. It's a huge amount. And we all know that once those are gone, they're gone. You can't bring that back. Those are our ancestors. That's our history, those trees. I'm not sure how they were able to even write it like that. I'm grateful for journalists such as yourself who keep telling the public that the emperor has no clothes. It's beneath our dignity, but it's, it's, it's required because if we don't, they'll just keep on saying it. I mean, I think they truly are taking the lead from their predecessor and that if you tell a lie 200 times, it becomes the truth. And, and so they're just lying until they believe it. And it's to see such a base, corrupt, evidentiary action within our government is so in contrast with the stability of, of this ancient forest. Uh, I say it's a thousand years old. Yeah, the oldest tree in there may be 800 years old, but that tree came from somewhere. You know, it came from an 800-year-old tree. The, the forest floor, the soil that's never been damaged, never been logged, yeah. never been burned. You know, what is down in there? We have no idea. And we're not going to ever know it if we clear cut it and then bake it, you know, under the sun in that northern subboreal forest. It's criminal. I mean, it's it's public land. It is criminal. That's right. And there's with so much going on right now with mushrooms and mycelial networks, 
that what's going on in, in this forest is incredible. And I mean, we may very well have the cure for cancer in there and we wouldn't even know it. Forests are, you know, as the Amazon is, as everyone keeps talking about it, this is where we get our penicillins. This is where we get our medicines and we're destroying it. And, and again, the, the culpability, while this agency, the, the uniformed men and women, and there's some good ones in there, but they're not at the top for sure. While they're putting all this effort, you know, five years now of trying to sneak this old growth logging project on the taxpayer's dime, or in this case, taxpayers in a million dollar blank check, they're ignoring where the vegetative management needs to be occurring, which is around communities and towns and, and thinning that still retains some overstory, some canopy to keep soil moisture in the forest. But there are some stocking levels, as they say, that are are dense and flammable. And as you point out, that the young growth, the 15 to, to 70 year old growth in, in this ecosystem, it needs fire or it needs mechanical treatment as long as the soil is not damaged, you know, over the snow winter activity. But it's just, there's not enough volume and it costs more per acre to treat that way than it does to clear cut and just make a big mess of it and never come back. So I don't know. Yeah, we, we think of, uh, you know, Smokey the Bear and the U.S. Forest Service is protecting our resources. And certainly there have been phases in the agencies and institutions history where that's been the case, but this is not one of them right now. It's a really dark stain and cloud on the agency. And I don't know why they're not correcting it. I mean, it's not because they haven't heard about it. Yeah. I mean, listen, if we could go on and this is my opinion and solely my opinion and looking at it and the people that I've spoken with who are really involved in biodiversity and the land and saving it and and also climate change and solutions. And, you know, the fact is, is that we rely on oil. We rely on these things to keep this world going. And I think the big secret is, is that they haven't, you know, the technology in order for us to constantly feed the population that keeps growing is a difficult one. And it's one that, you know, they say that they want to, you know, I want to bring in the organizations like, you know, Sunrise Movement and, and the Green New Deal, and we talk about this, and yet this very government is now is taking out the forest, and that should just tell people why. I mean, to make the wind turbines, we need oil to make the cement. Well, and your, your point's a really good one. I think culturally, we are accustomed to deferring a great disproportionate amount of power to, to the presidency, which rocks yeah. along every four years or maybe every eight years. and. Mm-hmm. Rarely are we satisfied. Our learning from that, and we are engaging more with our House of Representatives, which is more responsive to the needs of, of the nation. And I'm encouraged by the House of Representatives, which traditionally just takes care of their district because the situation is so dire. We're having champions at the national level in the House stepping up to protect our public lands. Representative McCollum in Minnesota and, and Shelley Pingree in Maine, and obviously Carolyn Maloney and, and others. It's fascinating to see this new coalition of leadership reaching beyond their traditional responsibilities. And I'm really grateful for it. I think, you know, there are helpers out there and there are fixers and we need to focus more on that. And what this show is also about is getting people to get active. Why should this matter to the person in Arkansas or the person in New York? Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Like, why does your force matter to us? Well, yeah, it's not my force. It is our force. <laughs> it is public land. And, and, it should not be allowed to be taken from us. It's our birthright. It's in our portfolio, as it was for indigenous people. We were born with this being ours, and if we're lucky, we'll die with this being ours, something we can hand to our children and our grandchildren. 
And, you know, if, if you live in, in say, uh, you know, Arizona and you have no or Arkansas or Alabama or any other A state, it doesn't matter whether you go into this old forest or not. As, as Wallace Stegner said, just, just knowing it is there has incredible value to our our culture, our society. It's like, how many other things do we treasure in this country that we don't ever participate in or partake in? You know, whether it's a great novel or a great musician's music, you don't have to go there to be made rich by it. And I just go there to defend it. Once it's protected, uh, that's all I need to know is if it's protected. And I think people in Arkansas would feel the same way. Yeah. Like, you're uneasy when you know something beautiful and that belongs to you is being lost and you're, you're at ease when you know it's protected. Well, I think what everyone can relate to is climate change. This planet that we live on is, it was at least, you know, a perfect balance, right? It's a perfect ecosystem that man has managed to take out of balance. So why do we need to look for, you know, we're looking for these new solutions to sequester carbon when we have them (laughs) and they are in our forests. So the person who's having hurricanes in Florida it's like the butterfly, right? And the butterfly flaps its wings. Can you feel it in New York? And yeah, it's all tied into one another. Yeah, and it does give, you know, there is such a feeling of often of powerlessness or futility in the climate change uh, epic that we inhabit and, and will be inhabiting. But it feels good to be proactive and not be a, a victim, to be a passive victim, but to be an active solution finder. And as you point out, protecting the old force or the very best at storing carbon and, and filtering CO2, 30 to 70% more efficient than, than other forest types. And so, you know, why wouldn't you? Forget that it's beautiful. Forget that it has its own inner self-sustaining sphere of grace that was here before we were and hopefully be here after we're gone. It, it's, oh yeah, it's also really good for us. So yeah, what's the problem here? Why, why isn't it protected yet? Right. Well, tell us that you have had some good movement Right, Rick. I mean, there are some good things happening. Where are you at right now in this movement? Are they proceeding with this project like next week? Have you had it delayed? Tell us where we're at. Yeah, we're delayed. It has not been taken off the table. It's just hanging there, you know, drawing attention. And so we are continuing to advocate, continuing to do outreach. Patience is not one of my virtues, but we've been advocating for this this forest for parts of five years now. And, you know, the fact that I'm disbelieving that it's not protected in a single hour, some an executive action, you know, President Biden could look at this and say, boys, girls, what are you doing? Stop this foolishness and pull it away. And that's not how our government works. So I, I don't know what the holdup is, but that's also the good news. You know, every day, every hour is, it's another hour older after being a thousand, you know, maybe it'll be a thousand. It's again, it's a lesson for us to uh, reassess our relationship with time and, and the scale of time. And we're seeing that in, in this long campaign. Absolutely. Has anyone reached out to Deb Holland? Yes. And? I can't speak for her. There is a traditional firewall of sorts between the Department of Interior and the Department of Agriculture. Strangely, our national forests are are considered ag and not interior natural resources. There is plenty of overlap, of course. Secretary Holland is responsible for the recovery of uh, endangered species such as grizzly bears, which there may be 25 left in the Yak Valley. The, her agency's own 10-year rolling review of, of the population shows that it is direct quote, least resilient, uh, end quote, in, in North America. 
that they have a 10-year rolling average of three females with cubs in the Valley. Her representatives have gone on record saying this sale might result in the loss of one of those three females, but that in the short term, that would be acceptable. So I don't think we can look to Secretary Holland for help. Yeah. I think we need to look to the House of Representatives where, I don't know, they just seem to have a little more freedom. It seems like everybody else is owned by someone else. Yeah. What's your own representative doing about this? We're continuing advocacy and outreach. We're, we're trying to find a way to meet his constituents' needs and those of the people who didn't vote for him. I see. I see. So you say this is a sale. So is this a sale to the logging industry? It's a proposed, yeah, it's a proposed sale. Yeah, 60 million board feet, again, uh, back in the middle of nowhere to make the country's reduced fuels, they say, and also to make the forest resilient. Uh, they're going to take the forest away in order to make it resilient. You know, I just have no energy. If I'm spending energy being negative and, and petty and snarky and making fun of their corruption, then that's taking away energy that I can be spending describing for people in Arkansas how amazing this place is. And, and I just am trying not to let myself go there today. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. You have to be the change. If you focus on negative, you're going to get more negative. I firmly believe in that. I just didn't know that because in looking at the report, it was pitched mm -hmm. as something that was a forest management that was actually needed. I didn't realize that it's actually a sale. So that makes sense. What can we do, Rick, to help you and to get the word out? And, you know, someone like me in New York or someone in Arkansas, someone in Florida, how can we protect this ancient forest and keep it standing? Thank you for asking. I still think we have to go through the, the gestures and motions of our hard-gotten democracy. We have to, to write the old guy in the White House. We have to write our representatives and our senators, uh, you know, who will rubber stamp, send out a form letter back. But we have to go through those motions. I think being creative, bringing in the arts, as Marina Zeppelina did, kind of changes the playing field a bit when, you know, we'll, we'll bring the scientists to court if it goes to court. But in the meantime, you know, the public opinion, just outreach to these non-traditional areas. I would love anyone who's listening who has connections in, in the music industry to tell their, their folks about this guitar. And, and music is such a powerful, primal, passionate force for, for change that I think that will be really helpful. Rewarding, thanking, expressing gratitude to the, uh, the politicians who are championing our old forest, such as Shelley Pingree, is a great way. 350.org is, is a tremendous organization. The national group has not yet picked up this cause, but the state chapter of 350.org, you know, is all over because as you point out, this is this is a way to mitigate yeah. as best we can climate change. So a lot of ways. I'll send some hashtags like stop black ram and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. No, too. I've got that. I'll drop that in at the end of the show and you guys will be everyone will be able to find that in the show notes. What about Earth Justice? They're Have so they wonderful. Yeah. yeah. They've got, you know, a finite number of attorneys and finite plus number of court cases. Some of their finest attorneys are helping us pro bono, you know, after hours. They officially have not picked up Black Rim, but they are advising us and they're watching it keenly. And they're aware of its potential for a biodiversity refuge, a climate refuge, for the opportunity and need for such. Uh, Center for Biological Diversity is, is queued up, ready to go to court if, if the record of decision is signed. 
Patagonia is looking into the idea of a climate refuge, and, and we hope to be able to persuade them of the need. So we are finding some alliances in the traditional green movement. But what's exciting to me after you know, a long veteran of the green, the timber wars, is to see these non-traditional activists, Disability United, NFL, musicians, artists, stepping up for, for our forest, for their forest. It's rejuvenating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is, I never would have thought the NFL and that came from you just reaching out to them. They heard about somebody in the retired players union heard about it and say, hey, you know, I like to go in the woods and a lot of my friends do too. How can we help? And they've got yeah. this thing called cleats for a cause. You know, we're on nationally televised games once a year. They, they run up and down the field with your, your cause on their cleats. It's just, it's so humbling. It's so touching that they're doing this for themselves. This is something that yeah. beautiful and wonderful that is at risk of being taken away and they want it. And it's, it's just, just right. humbling to be able to communicate it to them, illuminate it. That's exactly it, is that they're doing it for themselves. You know, the loss of this forest may be in your backyard, but it's a loss for me. It's a loss for my son, for my family, for everyone in the country. We're all seeing the importance of nature, particularly after this time when we've been kept from seeing our loved ones. And sometimes for those of us, I was in an apartment in New York, you know, for the past two years. And any chance I got to be out in nature was a healing one. You know, nature heals in many ways. Yeah, your problem is my problem. And we need to stop this. Rick, ironically, you're a, a former petroleum geologist from Texas. Um, yes. Yeah, so there's some irony in this. So drilling for oil and, and mining is not something that's foreign to you. And then, of course, you became a notable author and you have written beautiful books on nature and your love of it. How do you see that you came to this? Yeah. yeah, I started out studying wildlife biology in, in college and worked for a, a private timber company in, in Arkansas as, as a biologist. And my boss was really unhappy. He said, you know, you're the one who gets to go out in the field doing these these surveys and such. I'm the one who has to stay at the desk and write them all up and stuff. You should change your major. You'll end up unhappy and desk bound like me. And I paid heed to his counsel. And so I changed my major to geology, something I could be out on the ground in my work. And uh, I worked as an oil and gas geologist in Mississippi for seven, eight years. And it was so wonderful. It's just uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was, you know, in the 80s, early 80s. And uh, it was before Bill McKibben's seminal and you know, world-changing book, The End of Nature, was published. And we thought we were doing good. You know, burning natural gas is, is so much better than burning coal. And that's what we thought. We were doing good work. And yeah, things have changed quickly in some ways and, and not at all in others. But I moved west. I wanted to get back west, enjoyed the landscapes, loved the landscapes that I'd experienced going to college and uh, looked for a remote place in the west and found it and settled in there. And I had about four seasons of bliss, you know, one full year of just wandering around awestruck by the beauty and the grandeur and the, the wealth, the bounty of so much open public space. And then I started noticing what was happening. You know, I go to the top of a mountain and one season, I go back the next year and it'd be gone. I mean, actually gone. And so I thought, oh, this is in a, a really remote place, northwest corner of Montana. This is just happening because nobody knows about it. We should protect these last mountaintops that didn't have roads into them. And all I do need to do is publicize it. It'll take six months, maybe a year, and then we'll get it buttoned up and protected. And 
gosh, that was uh, 36 years ago. And, you know, it's not still not one acre protected up there. So it's, it is a lesson in patience and humility. Like there's some things we can influence, some things we can't, some things we can change, some we can't. But this thousand acre forest at Black Ram, we can change that. It's not influence, we can stop it. And it's really good for the planet for us to stop it. It's such a small thing, you know, from a global perspective, but it's so important. We can't stop this. You know, we can't stop diddly squat. That's right. Is that what keeps you getting up in the morning and keep being the change? Because I know this is not easy work. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm a writer. I like to write fiction. That's what's supposed to get you <laughs> up in the morning. So I get up really early and then come daylight, I open up the laptop and I'm doing this stuff. Yeah. I don't mean this stuff. I don't mean that to sound ungenerous. Like I'm honored to have an opportunity to do this stuff. But yeah. it's, not, it's not what I want to be waking up to. What does that matter? Yeah, I understand. And you're, you're modest in saying that you're a writer, very well-known, wonderful writer. Do you think that your love for nature came from becoming a petroleum geologist? I don't think so. I think I became a geologist, petroleum oil and gas geologist from my love of nature. I mean, I grew up as a kid in the suburbs of Houston. I'd go down to the bio, Buffalo Bio, every day, you know, after school and just wander around, and just be in the forest by myself. And yeah. Go up in the Texas Hill Country with my my folks, and you know that's what passed for uh, wildness to me was you know with these little thousand acre plots of scrub, hard scrabble hill country, or a little uh, you know twenty acre lot of pines on the edge of Houston. So yeah, I think a connection to nature is uh, something we're born with, and then we either develop it or or it never never develops. But I was fortunate to, to yeah. have it develop early. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Ohio, Bowling Green, Ohio. I come from uh, four generations of farmers and spent much of my childhood, even though I moved around a lot, any backyard that I could find and just kind of wandering and picking up twigs and making forts or doing all, you know, other things. And, you know, here I am in New York City. And I don't know, I think it's interesting how we, we come to and certainly have, you know, didn't like nature, but to have an appreciation and understanding of how we need to protect her only came until later. But I think anyone from the fishermen to Patagonia wearing hikers, the surfers, everyone, you know, we can agree that we need to save this and that this time is now. What I want to leave everyone with is that we're finishing up now. And, you know, we mentioned how we can help. There's a website that you can go to. It's Yak Valley. It's dot. Y-A-A, there's two A's, K-V-A-L-L-E-Y.org, right? And protectancientforest.org. Both of those are good places for everyone to go to. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous. Please do yakvalley.org, two A's, and then protectancientforest, plural, .org, which will direct you to Representative Pingree. I'm sorry for daydreaming here. Something you said about those twigs, you know, when you're a kid and when we've all you know, known those moments of the small world being huge in our mind. And that's what, like, that's what this big forest does. It's too large to, not even to understand, but to even really comprehend what we don't know. I'm, I'm looking at a, the back end of a poem by Mary Oliver. This, uh, it's called The Swan. I was thinking it's the wild swan, but it's the swan. And she said, Mrs. Blake of the poet, I miss my husband's company. He is so often in paradise. Of course. The path to heaven doesn't lie down in flat miles. 
It's in the imagination with which you perceive this world and the gestures with which you honor it. That's how I feel in that force. It's like working for it is a gesture to honor it. And and I think everybody gets that. It's a gesture that anybody who hears about it wants to participate in. Beautiful. Thank you, Rick. And again, anyone listening, please go to yakvalley.org, protectancientforest.org. This will all be in the liner notes so you can find them. And also where you can tweet, hashtag stop the sale and tweet at Forest Service. Um, Very important. Again, I'll put it up. I'll be on the website and I'll be on the liner notes so we can uh, get this stopped. I can't thank you enough for your time today. Um, Thank you for listening to this story about about the Black Ram uh, proposed sale. I hope to report good news soon. Thank you very much, Christine. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.